Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say. Last debate, he said we were all bought and paid for. I can't imagine how you could say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party. We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. That's just wrong. And let's just get real here. My plan will get the job done. You literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains in a $15 million subsidized location. Next. You got bad information. They were there before I even showed up at the residence. Oh, make you it know, stop. You know, that, that is a good, like, of the speaking, but we need a little of that cacophony before we get Gary on 34, here. Michael, 34. You said by You can't be on both sides. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges we should have a focus on the issues that matter. We know business in China. Everybody knows that. If I may address on holding Joe Biden accountable, that's what we need to be. I actually agree with Ron DeSantis. The Tower of Babel. Well, if debate after debate for years and years, you reward the person who jumps in and takes the mic, that's what you're going to get. We're joined by old friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show, nonpartisan political analyst Gary Dietrich. He's a great follow on Twitter, at Gary Dietrich. Gary was at the scene of the debate last night. How was the dumpster fire from your perspective, Gary? Well, Joe, you stole the exact colloquialism I think most applied to it. Uh, Jack, of course, pretty that up, gave it a nice genteel cacophony, which is also a good way to describe it, at least initially. 
And then really what happened was I think all the candidates had finally sunk in when the moderator said, look, at one point, you know, Dana Polino tells Bergen, listen, we're going to cut off your mic if you continue. That's it. Let's go to break and we'll come back. So I, I think they kind of got it about a third of the way in. But it was tough to watch initially and certainly tough to even be there. The spin room, not any better. I mean, it, uh, we are right now, guys. I, I think the reality is out of last night, it's political survival mode for some of these folks going forward. The next debate in five weeks in Miami on November 8th, criteria go up to 4% in a national, two national polls or one, and then a couple from the early states. Some of these folks right now do not qualify in that regard. You could take Burgum, you could take Christie, you could take Scott. Unless their fortunes turn around, they are not going to be on the next debate stage. That's going to leave DeSantis, Haley, Pence, and Ramaswamy, who took a, a lot of hits last night. We can talk about that. I mean, so the field is starting to win us, like it or not. You know, the particulars of last night's debate uh, don't interest me that much. Um, I have my own impressions. Uh, I've I've read a fair amount of echo chamber and spin, that sort of thing. And, and more or less, we emerged with the status quo that we went into it with. <coughs> Which Jack is Trump I, getting the nomination, unless an asteroid hits. Uh, but having said that, what we're most troubled about is the whole primary system, the debate system, the coherence of the Republican Party. Last night was, was, was awful. So you're wanting me to comment on the fact that these debates are, what, inconsequential or even deleterious to the party? Maybe yes. you're right. Yes. Well, yes. I, I guess, I'm sorry, I, I gave you a very, very broad setup there. What we discussed a little earlier was the fact that the Republican Party, which exists for the sole purpose of getting people elected, is now completely incompetent to that purpose, in my mind. They have to take a serious look at the way they do what they do and and change it. Would you agree, or was that just a, a, an unfortunate uh, you know, episode last night? Well, Joe, I think you're on to something for this election cycle. I mean, the Trump people last night said, let's just call off the rest of the debates. Of course, they would say that. But, you know, this isn't having And if you just look at the polling, they're right on that right now. You know, what's going to happen in the next four months before Iowa and New Hampshire, et cetera? Who knows? But that's certainly true now. I think the unique part of this one, guys, I was thinking about this last night after the debate. One of the uniquenesses is I leader in the party's nominating process that has a 40% lead nationally and a 30% lead in Iowa and New Hampshire, who's unique to this whole nominating uh, position and who has decided, you know what, I'm just not going to bother to show up. I think all those uniquenesses in this cycle certainly lead to what you're talking about, Joe, and that is different from what we've seen in the past. Well, so you talked about the spin room. Did any of y'all get together, like, I don't know, over drinks after the debate or anything like that, and have any conversations about, like, really changing the way we do this? Like, actually have an on-off switch for the mics, and everybody gets to speak only when their mics on. I mean, like, really revamping it, because it's it's degenerated into just a mess. Yeah, I do think, I think that one change you're talking about there, Jack, in terms of mics, is probably overdue, and I think it's probably likely to happen. You know, just the turning down of the mics, or you ask somebody a question, and their mic is the only one on for at least the initially designated whatever, right. 60 seconds or whatever. I, I think that's probably something that's going to be considered because it did render, I'd say, about a good third of the debate, debate nearly unintelligible. 
Well, right, and I think, unfortunately, uh, that unintelligible stuff was front-loaded at the beginning and drove most of America away. I can't wait to hear the numbers for, you know, hour one versus hour two. But anyway, putting aside the utter uh, incompetence and and cacophony of the thing, um, if Trump is not to win the nomination, it's because Republicans, and there are enough Republicans who don't want Trump, if they were to unite around one candidate, that that would be enough to overcome Trump, at least theoretically. Uh, who, to your mind, has the most momentum, Gary, in terms of appeal, maybe even fundraising, um, the, the early uh, primary states? Uh, who would you bet on as the dark horse? Yeah, that's a good question, Joe. And I'd say right now you'd pick two. I mean, first would be Ron DeSantis, who, while he slipped in some, some of the polls, uh, still retains that number two position. And I think most people's estimation last night didn't do himself a disservice, at least held, you know, sort of steady, even, or went up some. And the second is Nikki Haley, who, you know, in the first debate, we saw numerically afterwards, her poll numbers went up demonstrably. I mean, some polls almost 50%. So I, I think those are the two. If there's some that clearly sank last night, you'd have to say Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, people, it was a dog pile on him, you guys probably know. And they got some shots, especially related to China, that seemed to do some political damage. And then Mike Pence just kind of holding on. I don't think he's likely to you know, have any momentum going forward. So those are the two I'd say right now coming out of this, probably best position to, if there is one, become the Trump alternative. How do the political parties not have more power than they do at this point to like somehow narrow these fields? Because this didn't used to happen when I was younger. You didn't. You didn't end up with... 15 people on every stage all the time shouting at the same time? Well, Jack, remember this, that, you know, po- political party political power cuts both ways. Remember the Bernie Sanders argument. You're rigging this election, which if you look, I'll, I remember this very distinctly, thinking, why aren't there any debates scheduled? I mean, you got you got Bernie Sanders out there sitting U.S. Senator. He's moving up rapidly in the polls, and they just iced the whole debate right, thing right. early on. And, and you know what? There are many people who have gone back, political scientists, gone back and looked at all the trends and the polling trends and all the rest of it and said, you know, had it been a quote-unquote normal primary season with those debates were not anything else, and, and the nominating process, the delegate count, the superdelegates, all that, remember, that Bernie Sanders had a serious chance of winning that nomination, and he, to this day, his people believe the DNC did him dirty. Yeah, well, I think that's absolutely true. But they also saved themselves a horrific loss. Bernie would have got just stomped. I mean, that's what the point of the party is, as Joe started this, is to win elections. So they stepped in to make sure a candidate that couldn't possibly win nationally didn't get the nomination. Isn't that what they're supposed to do? Well, the problem with that, and you might, on a pragmatic sense, Joe, you might, I mean, excuse me, Jack, you might be right, but remember... We were right in the beginning, right in the big throes of the battle within that party. That is the Democratic Party, you know, the progressive wing versus the old kind of traditionalist wing. So, and, and that is, some people say, those are debates and, and sort of um, momentum worth having. You know, where is the Republican Party going to go post-Trump? I remind people, elected or not, next time around, there's only one more shot for Donald Trump. Then what? And I think those are the big debates that some people say, the small debates, small D debates, actually serve a purpose over several election cycles. 
Well, after his second term, he can play Kingmaker and bring us more Dr. Oz's and Herschel Walker's. Anyway, uh, you know, the counter to Jack's argument, which I, I happen to be pretty sympathetic to, is that you can't alienate your customers. And there's a widespread perception among Republican-leaning voters, conservative voters, that the fat cats of the Republican Party have brought us nothing but higher and higher deficits, um, you know, uh, promising us that globalization would lift all boats and empty promises. So I understand the populist right saying, no, I don't trust the fat cats to find me somebody who's quote unquote electable. I don't want that. So it's a tough time for, for the Republican Party. It's a tough time for Democrats, too, honestly. Well, I think the small d democratization of the entire political process, that. And it's certainly, you know, some people like any talk radio got in there, but most importantly, social media. I mean, that's really what built, you know, the initial Donald Trump momentum. It was not, remember, you know, it was sort of universally understood. The Republican Party writ large did not want Donald Trump as their nominee, you know, and just whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. So I, I think we are witnessing the wholesale change. I mean, even in terms of donors, small donors have come to begin to dominate a lot of the early fundraising process which makes candidates viable so we are in a transition in our political process in the united states that i'm not sure anybody knows exactly where it's going to end up but it certainly is changing rapidly yeah that's a really really good point because that is what's happening we're going through a transition we're going to come out the other end with something different we just don't know what it is yet you can trust Gary Dietrich for nonpartisan political analysis. He's not going to throw you one party spin or the others, and we really appreciate that. Follow him on Twitter at Gary Dietrich. Hey, Gary, always a pleasure. Happy travels. Good to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball. From Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.